Well, good morning, church. As Pastor Chris read, we're going to be in Psalm uh, chapter 119, and we're just going to be looking at verses 17 to 24, so you guys can turn there now. So I'd like to uh, first start this off by asking a question. If I was to ask you what your goal and purpose in life was, what would you say it is? What would your bio on your profile say about your desires and purpose in life? You and I, we all have a specific and more nuanced uh, purposes and goals that we want to pursue, but I would assume, and, and if you were a follower of Christ, you would generally agree with what it says in Scripture, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, uh, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Or Deuteronomy 11, uh, verse 1 says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. Or maybe you just simply say, I just want to glorify God and enjoy him forever. When it comes to glorifying God, glorifying God is just simply living the way that you and I should. To live as you and I were intended. To live in joyful obedience to him. But the question is, what does that look like specifically for you right now? Or another question is, how is that going? It's glorifying God and living in obedience, miserable and hard, or is it joyful and pleasant? Does it feel like there is opposition challenging you from doing the right thing? Or are you in a season where right now obeying the Lord is joyful and bearable? You see, obedience should never stop in the life of the believer. And the world, sin, and Satan will, will try to stop you from that ultimate goal of obeying the Lord. But is that your ultimate goal? Can you right now agree with the psalmist in verse 20 that Pastor Chris read, that your soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times, that the thing on your mind the most is trying to do the next right thing in obeying the Lord out of a love to and for God. Whether that is a challenge for you right now, or you need and are asking for continued consistency with obedience, we turn to this psalm. You see, how this psalmist feels, who we think is most likely David, how he feels about God, his word, and his response to it, despite whatever season that he is in, is how each and every single believer in Jesus should also feel and respond to his word. You see, this passage here is to remind us, to charge us, to encourage us that knowing, loving, obeying, and receiving comfort and guidance from God is only found in his word. And our ultimate aim as God's people is to live in joyful obedience to him. If there's one thing I want you to understand by the end of this message, it's our big idea, or our title for today is when the going gets tough, but our big idea on uh, two slides down is this, that because God guides and comforts through his word, it is your joy to know and obey it. It is your joy to know and obey God's word because God guides and comforts through it. 
So I hope to, to help answer how you and I can continue and persist in joyful obedience, even when the going gets tough. So let's pray for God's help, and then we'll get into our first point together. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. And although Psalm 19 is a very large chunk of scripture that has beautiful things about your word and our desire and our response to it, as we just look at one section, Lord, I just pray that you fill me with your spirit, uh, that I may communicate all that you have laid upon my heart in a way that is clear and understandable, and that everyone who is in this room can understand, reflect, and respond in obedience to you out of a love and understanding of who you are and who we are in relation to you. I pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So how do you and I persist in joyful obedience? If you're taking notes, our first point is this, that we request grace as servants. That to persist in joyful obedience, that you and I need to request the grace to obey as servants. In verse 17, uh, David says this. He says, deal bountifully with your servants that I may live and keep your word. This song that, that we have here that David has written is also a prayer. And his first request actually teaches us a lot about God, the character of him, and the character that you and I should also assume as well. It is good that we understand that you and I who believe in the good news of, of Jesus are co-heirs with Christ, that we are sons of God, and his saints, but we should never let those identities make light or put servanthood or slaveship to God beneath us. This isn't recent and modern day slavery that is sinful and wicked. This is by choice, like an employee to a boss who agrees and supports the vision. We are, are, are servants who are made by God for his will and his intentions are best for us. As, as God's servants, we have such a good relationship with our master to the point that we can expect and demand the maximum of God's goodness and grace. He says here to deal bountifully with your servants. A bounty is just uh, uh, anything good that is given generously. And David prays for God to always deal with him this way to always give above and beyond all that we can ask and even think of. And notice that it's preemptively to the work and not a reward for his work. God gives to us so that we succeed. David asks not just to obey, but for life itself to then obey. When you blow out the candles on your birthday, share your New Year's resolutions, write down your dreams and desires in your journals? Are you asking for more life for your own desires? Or are you asking for more life to do God's will? Or worse, are you trying to replace uh, your desires for God's will? Lord, if you just do this, then I will obey you. Lord, in order to obey in this area of my life, I first want and need this. Jesus tells us in his word that if we ask anything according to his will, he will do it. Anything in his name, he will give us our true needs for obedience. Are you praying in such a way that Jesus would sign off and agree with your 
prayers. It is a prayer like this that trusts God as a rich and and gracious to give his servants whatever they need in order to both live and do what he wants them to do. We as Christians, our lives are not our own. They've been bought with a price. And this relationship uh, we servants have with God is, again, deeper than just obedience. Our obedience is a result of a loving relationship with our master and one that we actually continue to pursue him in knowledge. In verses 18 and 19, it says this. David says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on this earth. Hide not your commandments from me. We see here David's second request, that David and our eyes be open. I'm told time and time again that uh, I'm not allowed to rip on Star Wars or Lord of the Rings until I've read all the books that there is like a plethora of history and context and character development, directors cut scenes that gets lost in the movies. And Phil, if you just read these books and immerse yourself in them, you'd better appreciate the story, the vision, and better enjoy the more general version that's given to the masses and love the series as, as well. The more we know about someone, the more we are open and able to then love them. The more we love someone, the more that there is a desire to get to know them. David is teaching us that the Bible is the same way, and even better, that there is a plethora of wonder, of of answered mysteries, of amazing things when we ask God to let us see past the letters on the page to the person who wrote them and his intentions. I myself used to think that the Bible was boring, or that some things were not needed and redundant. This psalm, for example, we joke about how long I'd be up here if we actually did Psalm 119. It's an, it's an acrostic poem about the Word of God using each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 stanzas, eight verses each. Each verse starts off with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabets, all about the word of God and how much the Christian delights in them. We may think that's redundant, but David thinks sufficient to speak of someone who is inexhaustible. Reading and and meditating and immersing yourself in the word and even in the laws of God is a means to an end of knowing him and how perfect of a creator God is to think about everything that we need according to the purpose of life and how to live it. It's one thing to know what your parents allow and don't allow in your life, but it's one thing to know why. It's another thing to know why, to learn about their love and their wisdom and the good intentions that they have for you. The word, again, is a means to an end in which we can know and love God, and that will then fuel our prayer and obedience holistically. To study and learn of God through his word is what we call theology. My brother in Christ, uh, Steve Rosma, previous youth leader, I was able to visit him in Hawaii two weeks ago. It's a miracle that I'm back here from that amazing place. Uh, Steve shares this quote with me from Augustine. Augustine says, all of theology is appointed for this purpose, that we enjoy God. 
Again, the more we know about someone, the more there is the opportunity to love them. And the more we love someone, the more that we should be, the more that there is a desire to get to know them and all of them. Our pursuit of knowledge is the test of our love. <laughs> that AC is really uh, slapping today. So to theology, <laughs> don't let uh, jerks discourage you and don't let laziness excuse you. It is again to your joy to know and obey God's word. But it's not going to be easy. In verse 19 to 20, David says this. He says, I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. David here is saying that we are strangers on this earth. That those who make it their aim to glorify and joyfully obey the Lord are actually going to be the minority on this earth. God doesn't hide his will from us. It's on your laps right now. But again, the world, sin, and Satan are going to make this earth and culture difficult to figure out the next right thing for you to do. This is the art of being a disciple, a servant, and student of Jesus, someone who is seeking to obey Jesus in whatever era or season of their lives. It should look like us being consumed crushed, fully occupied with seeking the next step of obedience in our lives. David is teaching us that the more we study God's word, the more we have access to more specific nuance and the more challenging decisions we'll need to make in our lives. It's actually in God's word. And this is how the psalmist and the Christian should feel about God and his word, regardless of the season that he or she is and this is what God wants to see. This is what pleases God. But a question you can ask is, is this you? Can you right now agree and put yourself in the shoes with the psalmist in verse 20? That the thing on your mind the most is trying to do the next step of obedience and pleasing God. And if you do not have this heart, or right now not obeying the Lord in joy then it means you're actually not in tune with your identity, but you're actually rebelling against it. Again, in verse 17, David sets a deal bountifully with your servants. If you don't think that you are servants of God, then you're not gonna want to obey the Lord when things are hard or when you're not getting what you want. But how do you and I fix that? How do we persist in joyful obedience and embrace the fact that we are servants? Well, up on the screen for you to illustrate is this uh, photo. And I hope you guys know who these guys are. You got Chick-fil-A and you got Popeyes. So even though Popeyes makes the better chicken sandwich, <laughs> it tastes like mama made it. <laughs> The one thing that you and I can't debate at the end of the day is the level of service between these two companies. Have you ever been to Popeye's in the States? I don't know what exactly their problem is. I don't know if they're hiring people straight from prison or, or, or juvie. 
if they're like not being paid enough, they're skipping their counseling sessions, I don't know what it is. Last time I was in Popeye's Inn in the States, they got mad at me for ordering. The cashier just rolling her eyes at me, frustrated that I'm asking for extra sauce. And when she messed up my order and had to call her uh, manager, the manager came out and he was even angrier than she was. And in my head, I'm just like, I dare not say this out loud, but like, I'm paying you, like, you're here, like, I'm helping your career, like, you chose this life, like, why are you angry at me? And after researching what happens to some other customers online, I'm just grateful that I came out unscathed. (laughs) But the chicken at Popeye's is so good, I'm gonna keep putting my life at risk and go back there uh, when the time comes. But when you go to Chick-fil-A, yes, it's not the best sandwich, but whenever you ask for something, and whenever they fulfill a request for you, what is it that they say? They say, my pleasure. They look content. They look unified and happy and joyful to serve. You see, they train themselves to understand their position at all times, even in response to the most ridiculous requests. You see, who we think we are not just impacts what we do, but also how we do it as well. In the same way that a Chick-fil-A employee can prepare and protect their identity both preemptively and during their shift by saying my pleasure for good quality and personal joy when servants, so should we as servants of God. They even do shift work. Our servanthood is eternal. We'll continue to serve in this life and in the next. These verses here should actually counsel us and ground us, and for some of us, even elevate us who are discouraged that we are children or servants of God and and how we are to think and feel towards God in a way that we can now live a joyful and clear life. We are to assume our identity and request the grace to do your God-given work. You and I need to do this daily or hourly or even by the minute. Obedience will then have joy in it. God's commands themselves are what's best for us and understanding why helps us see beyond ourselves and keeps us. Again, God guides and comforts through his word, so again, it is your joy to know and obey it. So our second point of uh, this, this message, how we can persist in joyful obedience. Uh, we not only request grace as servants, but we rejoice in God's goodness. In verse 21, David says this. He says, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. David is teaching us that there is a warranted consequence towards God. You see, the essence and heart of sin is when we no longer assume the role of servants, but begin taking on the role as master. You see, Adam and Eve's sin was not just about doing what they weren't supposed to do, but it was in fact choosing for themselves what was best for them. Imagine your right shoe telling you it belongs on the left or your fridge refusing to keep things cool and wants to warm up instead. When humans refuse to do things God's way, it is literally unnatural, illogical, 
and against our original intention from the God who created us. Adam and Eve, they were made by God and given the task to multiply and keep the garden and take care of the garden that God has made. They had everything they needed with just one rule, to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan, who is also a disobedient creature tempted them to eat of the fruit by planting an idea or seed in their head that God was afraid of holding out from them the opportunity to choose what was best for them, to decide for themselves what is good and what is evil. But can what's created think wiser than the creator? When have you and I ever made a decision wiser than God? And yet we do this all the time. And it's a sin. It's when we think, say, or do, or refuse to do anything that God has commanded of us. And the punishment for sin is an eternity in hell. And right now God, he chooses to rebuke and disapprove of those who break his commandments today in light of that future reality. And the more that we begin to know and become more like God and agree with God, we demand and cry out for justice for those who care less, repeat offenders who break and commit the most heinous of crimes, and God will deal with them in his time. But you and I should be thankful for his patience because you and I belong on this list too. You and I as descendants of Adam and Eve were born as sinners who hate and disobey God, you and I live lives deciding what is best for us, making the aim of our lives about our own happiness and joy, our own idea of happiness and joy, rather than trusting and pursuing the life that God himself intends for us. And disobedience, defective and prideful creation ought to be dealt with and disposed of by their creator. But in the good news of, of Jesus, Jesus, he lives a perfect life in obedience to God the Father and dies a death that you and I deserve on the cross. He pays the price for sin and makes available the blessing of being forgiven and viewed righteous before God. So if you confess your sins to God, admitting that you have not lived as you should and place your faith and confidence that Jesus has come from heaven as our Savior and Master and has made a way for you to be in good relationship with God again and you will be saved and, and freed from the punishment of sin and promise eternal life. People who experience this are made new. They now walk in obedience instead of disobedience, out of love towards God with a clear understanding of who they are in relationship to him. But oftentimes, the going is going to get tough. Life's not that simple. In verse 22, David says this. He says, take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servants will meditate on your statutes. We, we now get introduced to the context in this section. David, as usual, is being targeted by his enemies, but not just for his life now. But they're throwing shade. They're throwing dirt on their name. They're discrediting David. They're holding him in contempt. They're scorning him. 
The easiest and most hurtful thing that you and I can do to one another is to attack and diminish their name and reputation. The Bible speaks about this in, in uh, Proverbs 22 and Ecclesiastes 7. Uh, Solomon says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. In Ecclesiastes 7, Solomon again says, a good name is better than fine perfume. And scarier enough, it is princes, it is authority and leadership within his own community that sits plotting against him. This should teach us that no, not only are we, not straight, are we strangers on this earth, that we are the anomaly, that we are the minority of people who are trying to live in obedience to God, but the world as well is not our friend either. We should neither get comfortable on this earth and or exist or, or expect to coexist with the culture at all times. You would think that the Christian leader who does things God's way would be loved by his peers or that the world will see that God's way for human life and flourishing is best for it and they will be at peace with you. The answer is no. Jesus himself tells us to expect this in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20 on the screen for you. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The world will identify and target you. And that's because you are obedient. Because you look, you think, you talk, and you walk like your master Jesus. If the world can't identify us, then what does that say about us? And when they do target you, what is then the battle plan? How do you protect and clear yourself when the very systems you appeal to are out to get you? I'd be sharpening my knives, taking martial art classes, getting a dash cam, home security, double-checking insurance policies, meeting with my union rep, lawyering up. But what does David do? Again, in verse 22, he says, Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I've kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servants will meditate on your statues. David prays to God to deal with the situation. And, and, and his response then is to continue in obedience to God. And the reason is because in verse 24, David says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Again, because God guides and comforts through his word, it is your joy to know and obey it. What David is going through in verse 22 and 23, it's almost word for word what's happening in Psalms chapter 1 and 2. If you want to flip with me there, it's not on the screen for you. I'm just going to read Psalm 1 up to chapter 2, verse 4. David said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heavens laughs and holds them in derision. David says that in the same way that the enemies, his enemies, his princes, the kings, that rebel against the Lord and his anointed, they go out for coffee and discuss how to ruin David's reputation. But the best use of his time is better served in studying the word of God. And by doing so, receiving God's comfort and, and guidance that enables him to have joy in what he needs to do next. And that word counselors in verse 24 is plural for a reason. That word means men who counsel me. That David feels like he's talking and conversing with God as he studies his word. That studying what God has said enables a context where he is in conversation and discussion with God. That studying what God has said enables a context where he is in conversation and discussion with God. He's receiving instruction. It's almost like a boxer between rounds. You have coach one and coach two telling him what to do next. That's what it looks like to, to, to read and study God's word in light of opposition. Whether it's that stranger or former friend or family member, coworker, or group of people who are just gossiping and slandering about you day and night to make you look bad. Or maybe there's even legal complications in that scenario. God's word teaches us that both them and what they are saying is not going to last long. And the more we understand and pursue God in his word to know our next step of obedience, the more that we'll see that God has already given to you the solutions to your problems before you've even faced them. This is why his word that counsels you is your Delight, because someone who loves you has already given you all the comfort and guidance you need to live a life of joy and obedience. What do you do when the going gets tough? Are God's commands seen as burdensome or an opportunity for joy? How do you counsel others when they are in difficult and similar situations? Obedience should not be lacking. Do you help them see that God's commands are for their own good and joy, that God's commands himself are easy and light? We also get a promise about God's commands from Jesus. As a result of obedience, to wrap up in John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God desires that we live a life of 
joy, and his commandments are the, the means in which we can have that life. Again, because God guides and comforts to his word, it's your joy to know and obey it. So let's pray and uh, uh, that this be our desire and reality in our lives. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, for your word being sufficient to uh, give us everything that we need for life and godliness. You teach us how we are to uh, love one another, how we are to think of ourselves, think about you, and, and live a life that is full of joy. I pray, O oh God, for each and every one of us in this room. We all have a step of obedience uh, to do in our lives. For some of us, it's a trust in Jesus, that the works are, of God are to believe in the name of the one that the Father has sent. For some of us, it's, it's baptism. Some of us have already placed their faith in you, but their next step is baptism, and we look forward to and are thankful for the two young women who are taking this next step of obedience in baptism, that you may keep them and, and lead them in lives that are full of obedience and, and joy. For some of us, it's to uh, repent of sin and turn and continue to walk in obedience to you. Obedience is also repentance. So I pray, Holy Spirit, for each and every one of us in this room who are, um, regardless of what stage of life we are in, that you may work in the hearts of everyone here to take that next step of obedience, because that is the way that we can have joy as your creation. So I pray this all in your name. Amen.